Hello everyone and welcome back to another podcast. I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, today uh, I'd like to go into a different subject just uh, before we move on next time to the um, Back to the Eightfold Path. Uh, this I want to discuss is actually a very important concept and that's why I'm bringing it to you today is how we should understand and practice Buddhism, how we should learn and practice Buddhism uh, in the West. Uh, because a lot of times what, what seems to be happening is the transmission of something is extremely difficult from one person to another. And so sometimes there, it's very useful to have this kind of mod, model uh, that we can understand why certain things happen to us. Now in the West, we always try to think logically why things are going on. And so we try to understand and interpret and do all of our experience through our mind. However, a lot of times in, in a lot of ancient and older traditions, uh, they actually start with the body. So this lesson that I'm going to talk about today is going to be on the uh, model, which means the actual uh, form for the phases of mastery or even learning. So Mastery itself, people use that. Uh, I've seen that a few times when I was doing some additional research to see how they say it in English. But I would say it's learning. Because one, you know, the idea of mastery, like even the idea of enlightenment is something that is ongoing. It's, it's perpetually going on because you have a certain state of awareness of mind. You see things as they are. So therefore, you're, you're actually not just taking in information. You're actually actively participating in something. So... It's not just about understanding. So I would say these are the phases of learning, but also the way of teaching. So a while back I had, I talked about the student-teacher relationship. And of course, this is really important to understand because sometimes as a somebody whose culture is not based in Buddhism, it may seem extremely strange. And of course, we're all uh, probably pretty wary about any kind of religious obligation or religious practice because we see so much abuse with it. And even within Buddhism, um, we can see that abuse happening. So we should know this and understand it. And more importantly, uh, use it as a model. We can use it for everything. We can use it as a model for anything that we're learning and wanting to become efficient and make a, an important, uh, you know, it's not just about learning something and being good at something. It's about adding to something. So that means being, uh, being able to grow beyond uh, whatever it is that you're uh, that you have some type of. I wouldn't. I'm again. I'm not saying mastery, uh, but I would say grasp. Uh, and that grasp is both not only uh, mental, but more importantly, physically, where it starts in the body. Uh, because there's a lot of communication, a lot of education that happens in the body, which is actually more reliable uh, than the mental formations. Because as we see in Buddhism, whatever we learn in our mind, uh, depending on how we feel, our emotions, our environment, lots of things, even uh, certain chemicals in our body can change how we perceive and understand things. So the body itself is a really important, underutilized vessel uh, for learning information. However, in Eastern philosophy, that is actually the opening where most people learn. So therefore, the style of learning sometimes in traditional Buddhism and in Buddhist culture can seem somewhat uh, difficult and even challenging uh, if, if you don't understand this. So this concept is something called Shu Ha Di. And basically, it means uh, the first character is Shu, which means to protect. 
Ha means is to break, and Di is a separation. So I'll go more into depth with that. Now, it's important, if you've practiced Budo or martial arts uh, in any way, you might have heard this concept, because this is, a, this is an important concept that's used in martial arts. Now, when you, you may think, okay, this is an ancient Japanese teaching or a Buddhist teaching, but in actuality, it actually means that uh, it, it's actually a form, actually, when Westerners originally went to Japan, uh, tried to understand Japanese ideas. And so these kind of um, models were created in understanding and, of course, analyzing these ideas, which, of course, would show the difference between the Western way of thinking and the Eastern way. So if you go to Japan and you say shuhari to someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll understand it. Because if you show them the characters, they may understand it. But this, again, is a learning device um, for, I think, not only foreigners, but actually now modern people. Uh, because very much so modern Japanese, too, are kind of out of touch with that. But again, a lot of this is just instilled culturally into Buddhist cultures. So it's not something that always has to be spoken. Again, going back to the idea of shuhari once we explain it. So the first character that we have is shu. And shu means like, it means mamori, mamoru, which means to protect. You might have actually seen this on your little omamori case. Uh, it means a protection. Uh, this means, actually, what are we protecting? That's a very important question. So, the idea of protecting another idea is the model, or, you know, in a way, the kind of symbol, or, uh, how would you say, like, uh, example. So, this is where a lot of people, when they learn martial arts, uh, perhaps get angry sometimes and it becomes frustrating or especially with modern people who want to understand everything intellectually it can actually be very daunting and frustrating causing them to not continue because a lot of times communication through the body is very challenging so if you go to a buddhist temple this is where usually you would begin learning and again it is not because just being different the body itself is actually a very amazing powerful communication and information device for ourselves that when we inculcate something into our body especially at a very deep deep level uh, where we understand all the aspects and that we've done repetition after repetition and we've understood uh, the very basics of form form is extremely uh, essential so this concept of form is sometimes referred to as kata and uh, that means form so as I said before there's actually a saying so in Japan that when something doesn't seem to match reality or or that there's not a understood way of re, of responding they can say shigata ganai which means there is no kata for this which means that there's not necessarily a an answer for it or a way of doing it so that means that sometimes they say that if it's actually complicated so people can say i'm unable to do that because there's no kata which means oh i understand it's a kind of formless in a way so they have to look at it at a different example so kata is a very basic beginner's mind because again you may see in the buddhist temple you go to the buddhist temple doesn't require speaking uh, this was one of the really challenging parts is that a lot of times we want to come and talk about Buddhism uh, intellectually and understand theories and ideas about Buddhism. Uh, but actually, those are usually um, not uh, 
uh, encouraged and or even given um, any energy uh, when you attempt to learn Buddhism. Because actually, uh, my example was is that every time I went to a Buddhist temple, especially with Skamoto Sensei, when I first went to his temple, even though I was already a monk, I was simply asked to clean up garbage outside of the temple, not even allowed in the temple, uh, not even allowed to use the restroom. So I had to use a restroom around the corner at a local store, and then I had to take the garbage with me back to the United States. If you remember, I said that in one of the student-teacher relationships uh, discussions. And, and what was that for? Because actually, body itself is a very useful tool, but yet a lot of us are extremely awkward with our physical uh, nature. So if you look at people, sometimes when we start martial arts, things seem extremely awkward. So people will always kind of, usually when you tell them to use their left foot, they'll use their right foot, and it'll be opposite. Uh, and also they'll feel very unstable because they're not yet used to the form. So that's why actually in the Buddhist countries, uh, and, and this is one thing that I think a lot of Westerners deal with when they go to a Buddhist country or like Japan, you would see people not asking a lot of questions. And to them, that might seem like, okay, well, what is it not about getting information? They don't quite understand that. So, however, in this concept of Shu Hari, Shu means to observe, to take in the kata, to make it the kata yourself, your own, uh, to physically, uh, muscle memory, uh, small tissue, small uh, nerve, all of that, to... Um, uh, utilize them into a kind of mind or a brain. Somebody said the body is a very big brain for learning, but most people don't utilize it. So we learn and we don't necessarily speak or try to understand philosophically. We look at the teacher and we that's why having a teacher that you trust is really important. But to try to mimic and uh, try to copy, and uh, some teachers say steal, like your job, some Aikido people is interesting, you know, that your job, I think maybe we Shiva Sensei said, your job is to steal my techniques. I'm not sure if that's the case. But so sometimes they use the translation to steal. So the, the, the teacher is doing it and you steal the techniques. So the techniques are not necessarily given. But in this case, we, we have to be able to want to uh, have, we, we need to have a physical example of it. So it's not something you can read in a book and then do. See, that's a problem. A lot of people start with books, and then when you ask them to re remove that idea of intellectual Buddhism and go into a body-type Buddhism, body practice, to learn the kata Buddhism, they cannot do it. They, they feel uh, uncomfortable. They think uh, nothing is being learned. And of course, there are many great stories about um, you know, people watching their teacher. So there's a famous story I remember as a monk that there was a monk that, you know, he was so uh, clever, but he he wanted to learn from the teacher, but the teacher never said anything and just had him cleaning and cleaning. And actually my first teacher, Sifu, Shangguan Sifu, he, his practice is cleaning. So to learn how to clean and to copy the teacher in cleaning and the meticulousness and the mindfulness that goes with it, but automatically, you know, uh, he sees another teacher who's giving amazing lectures and ideas and stuff like that and, and discussions. And he says, well, that's a Buddhism, you know. And then finally he comes and confronts his teacher. And actually I've experienced this where 
they say, you know, they say, you didn't teach me to read any sutras. You didn't, uh, you didn't uh, teach me about Buddhist doctrine or theory or uh, teachings, any of that. Uh, what have I been doing here for this long? And, uh, you know, it's interesting. They call it the monk who becomes enlightened by the lint on their clothes. So the master then goes and says, you know, this lint on your clothes, this is enlightenment. And he understood. And then he, he was surprised and he said, well, master, how can I understand that without learning all of these teachers teachings? And he goes, because you stand in front of me for 10 years. So therefore, I can easily communicate with you. Because even in this form of uh, mamoru or protection, at that stage, the teacher also has to protect the student, sometimes from external things as well, not to break form. Because if you look at other forms, like if a student goes around to many different teachers and tries to learn, there'll be a conflict of form. Not to say that one teaching is better than the other, but there's confusion in the student. That's why we have one teacher, we study with that teacher, and we continue, right? So then, in that way, uh, we learn with our physical body. Then, once we've understood the physical body, just like in the martial arts, uh, once somebody learns kata, or the physical form, then that's considered the black belt, or shodan. But in the United States, black belt, a long time ago, not anymore, but people thought, wow, you have a black belt. Well, black belt only meant that you were a beginner, beginner. Uh, you weren't just a beginner, beginner. You understood the kata, but now you just had this kata and you don't know the intricacies of it. You don't know how it works outside of the form, right? It's the next level. And it's it's actually in a very impressive way of learning. So you can, again, apply this to anything that you do and anything that you want to study and, and have some skill in, all right? And then the second one, once we have the kata, then the next one is actually says the kind of translation is to break. But it doesn't mean necessarily break like, okay, I'm done with you, teacher. I'm going now that I have a kata. What it means is that it then becomes your responsibility to understand more deeply each of the movements. So it's actually a kind of micro, uh, how do you say, a very strong, uh, mindful awareness that when we look into each step of the kata, which itself looks like a form, but actually there are many, many layers of something. So we start to become aware of the many layers, all right, beneath the overall form. So then we start to look into each movement that we do, and then we coordinate it with our breathing. Then we coordinate it, of course, with our mind, because the mind can get in the way of the body doing what it needs to do. So even for an example, kata is like a meditation, right? So sitting meditation. You want to practice meditation, but you're unable to because your mind still is uh, unable to correlate or coordinate with the kata. So they're not in harmony. So all the different elements are not in harmony. So I would say the detach means to, they say detach but or break, but actually it's still within the kata. But what we do is we kind of go above it into a more detailed, like microscopic version or understanding of it. That we understand what each movement feels. Not only feels, but then a deeper understanding comes from it. So again, it's not from an intellectual understanding. Though at a time, at this time, a teacher may give you some intellectual insight into something that may allow you to break 
you know, perhaps a barrier that you're stuck in. Uh, you know, again, it's about breaking barriers at that moment. Okay, so then that becomes it becomes natural as opposed to forced. So usually, when you see someone in the original, the first one, as we said, shu, it sometimes seems very unnatural. So they look very rigid, very stiff. But as we move into ha, we start to inculcate it more into our body, and it becomes ours a little more, right? And that we understand it more intuitively, right? Because intuition is a big part of practice when it goes beyond thought. Because thought, again, distorts many things. Thought is useful in some situations, but not useful 100% in what we do as a practicing and actually for enlightenment. Okay, so then once we become natural in it, we learn it from our teacher, our teacher challenges us. Then the next stop is D, which means to transcend the form, the kata, and even one's own uh, natural ability. That means when we fully understand it with our body, and again, this is a body mechanics, once we fully understand it with the body, then we can actually, knowing the rules, knowing the landmarks or the unchangeables, knowing the basis, then what we can do is we can, uh, in that way, re they say reinvent, but I, it's a kind of transcendence, uh, which means, the, the actual character means to separate. But what I think it means is that it means to move things apart, to see it even at a, diff at a deeper level, and to perhaps, uh, you know, in one's way, influence. So it's not a passive thing. So a lot of times learning... You know, it seems like it's really passive, right? You have to watch your teacher for shu, then ha, you're, you know, you get your body in into it. That's a little more le less passive, and then we go into ha, then into di. Di is when we transcend it, we can actually add something to it. So we're adding innovation. So this is the place where you can actually innovate, because not it's not just all about culture. It's not all about form, but in order to actually be innovative, and that means actually to teach your own style or teach an idea, you have to understand the basics. But this is where most Westerners get scared or caught, not scared, they get caught. Because when they have transcendence, they think that now they're a master. And that's why some of these uh, people explain it as the idea of mastery. But actually what happens is that when one transcends it, they understand the building, how important the building blocks are. So that's why the first character, Shu, means to protect. That we must protect the kata, we must protect the form, but we must understand it deeper. And that every time we go through this cycle, it actually reinforces each of the parts. And it's important to know it's not always linear, okay, once you go through it. Learning it is kind of linear. But then what happens is at certain times of your life, you may focus on something. You may become more traditional because you then understand, okay, I'm teaching people just to use my uh, transcendent or my intu intuition or my understanding. They're not grasping it. So form. We re-understand the preciousness and the protection that's needed to the basic kata or form because that's how we transmit things. Understanding my transcendence or my understanding or my innovation is difficult for other people. Right, And it's not theirs, it's mine. So therefore, if they just copy that, that's kind of just pretending. Which a lot of people pretend that they're very innovative of things. But actually, it, it's based on very shaky ground. 
you see this in Buddhism all the time. They take a Buddhist course or they read a book and suddenly they can then innovate their own Buddhism. If that was the case, I mean, then the Buddha didn't have to teach uh, for his life, you know, if people just needed to take a weekend course or watch a video. But actually, it's a life practice. And as we go through life, we then understand the intricacies and importance of build upon. And these parts are always growing stronger and stronger, deeper in uh, understanding. And that begins again with the physical body. And the physical body is actually what has a greater memory than even the head, the brain. Because um, most people's memories are shaky. Uh, now that I've lived about 44 years, uh, a long time ago I could remember things I think a little clearer from my early age, right? But now it's kind of, you don't know if they're fuzzy or correct or wrong or that you're just imagining them. It's really tough. But the training that I received from my Buddhist teacher in my body resides. So therefore, it's interesting because when you transcend something, when you understand naturally the innovation of the ha, this is one thing I try to share with people. Buddhism should be something that should even uh, not be a head trip, but it actually it's in your bones, in your body. That actually when you see something or understand something, you have more of a body response than you do a head response. You may not be able to understand that now, but that's how it is. So for instance, for instance, breaking a precept. Usually most people would think, well, I'm bad, I shouldn't have done that, or they don't care and they rationalize it, whatever. But actually in Buddhism, when we learn with our body, the body has a really strong influence on us. That's what causes us usually to get into trouble, right? All of our desires are born of the body, and then, of course, amplified by the brain. But actually, the body itself is a really wonderful and actually most important way in Buddhism. That's why we teach kata. So therefore, when you go to a Buddhist temple or a Buddhist teacher, don't be deterred because he asks you to do something that seems mediocre and not uh, connected with Buddhism. And of course, people always bring up the idea of karate kid, such as he doesn't understand the kata of painting the fence or sanding the floor until the master... Uh, uh, Miyagi then shows him because, of course, he gets frustrated. He doesn't have an idea of kata. So therefore, he said, what am I really learning? It's like that monk I was talking about. But when you show somebody, they actually have inculcated it. It doesn't mean the mind is caught up because it's still at an immature phase, but it's actually extremely powerful. And actually, this is why Buddhism actually works because it's in the body. It's in your bones. It's in your being rather than just a head trip or like most religion is just in somebody's head, a bunch of rules or ideas, right? But Buddhism is built into your body, built into your bones, into your being. So therefore, this is just a very basic idea of Shuhari and I uh, encourage you to come train with us uh, and, and feel this because when you come and be asked to clean something, to use your body uh, to understand. It may be uncomfortable, but I teach you this concept because actually it is extremely uh, beneficial and actually it is the true way of teaching Buddhism. So unfortunately in modern times, Buddhism now is taught as a, as a university course uh, with ideas and, and, and courses you can go through, but actually the physical practice is the basis for all of it. And any teacher who is an actual teacher of Buddhism 
should understand this concept. And actually, this is a way you can protect yourself from those teachers who are just simply giving you ideas that they read in a book or concepts that they, perhaps without the pres- without the basics of kata, decided on their own, which then becomes very, very dangerous because then that, again, is their own opinion. And that, uh, of course, corrupts uh, many people. So I thank you very much for taking the time today to uh, learn about shuhari and the model for the phases of learning something. And again, use this in your daily life. So when you see something, understand the, the construct. But understand with your body. And if you don't know what that means, you can study martial arts. You can all, But most importantly, we teach that in Buddhism. So if you want to learn that, please find a, a, a Buddhist teacher who understands this and is able to teach you. And you will learn so many things that will continue with you for your whole life as your attitudes, your ideas will change. But these, these teachings that are ingrained into our body, we never lose. So therefore, uh, I hope all of you have found this useful. And uh, I thank you very much for listening to this podcast and supporting us. Thank you.